0: You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast.
1: I'm Nate Kading and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast where we explore the life and careers of the Corridor's most influential business leaders. Pankaj Manga is the entrepreneur behind Channel Fusion, a marketing and advertising service provider based out of Hiawatha. Pankaj is an immigrant who came to the United States in 1991 and has built an international business that serves some of the biggest companies in the world. I talked to Pankaj about how he is driven by his passion for competition, the origin story of his company, Channel Fusion, and how Pankaj defines what marketing actually is. Pankaj also shares his thoughts on how positively outrageous service sets Channel Fusion apart from their competition, the previous business partners and leaders who have challenged him to grow, and Pankaj also shares how being an immigrant gave him a hunger that has led to his success. I learned a lot,
0: and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Cading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC.
1: Thank you so much for for taking the time to chat Uh, and you have, you know, the true uh, immigrant success story. Uh, You haven't moved to the United States from India in 1991 and of course having built a business here in the corridor that we're all familiar with in Channel Fusion. Take us back to you. You immigrated to the United States from India when you were 18 in 1991. Take us back to sort of that year or two leading up to that huge life decision. What what went into that uh, for you and your family and maybe share a few stories of your childhood in India.
0: You got it, Nate. Thanks for helping having me on. Um, yes, I think, uh, first of all, I always start uh, any interview with uh, saying, you guys will have to excuse my strong Southern drawl, um, <laughs> which, uh, which, uh, which still works here 30 years later. Um, but yes, I, um, I moved from um, a small town of uh, two and a half million people uh, mm-hmm. uh, called Chandigarh in, in Northern India, close to New Delhi. Um, At the end of 1991 to play collegiate tennis here in the U.S., um, it was a big decision for my family uh, because I'm the only child. And, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, sports and athletics were still not, uh, you know, considered as big a deal as they are now and commercially successful as they are now in India. It was a big decision for my family. My father really wanted me to be an engineer. But my coach, who actually had played collegiate tennis uh, in the U.S., uh, really kind of got my dad... um, convinced that this was the right thing for me if I would make sure that I I got a good major and 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 started hard and kept my grades going so uh, and my dream growing up was always to be a professional tennis player and uh, my coach convinced me that that would be a good way for me to also pursue my dream so that's kind of we all kind of agreed on our own individual perspectives and that's how I landed here
1: were your, were your parents, uh, what were your parents' occupations in, in India?
0: So my dad was a physicist. He's a professor at a really large university there. He, uh, uh teaching a, a solid state physics. So very dry and very academics focused on my mom was a housewife. So, you know, growing up in India, uh, as you probably from your experience know, there are a lot of uh, Indians who are physicians or engineers and, and do very well in in software engineering or in, in the uh, medical field so r- really growing up those were our two choices is you know do you want to become an engineer or do you want to become a doctor and the professional tennis player was way down on the totem pole so <laughs> yeah it, a little it, outside it, the it, box yeah a little bit outside the box and then uh, you know since then perceptions have changed you know a friend of mine that i junior that i grew up with uh, leander pays has gone on to win ele- uh, 18 major championships in doubles and mixed doubles so it's perceived a little differently now than it was 30 years
1: ago yeah absolutely and that's a huge turning point certainly for for you and your life and career and your whole family to make that decision to move to the united states and you get here you're you're down in uh southwest missouri as you mentioned pursuing college tennis what was it take us back to those first few months in the united states what was the the biggest difference for you in the united states compared to india
0: Well, actually, it was. uh, That's an interesting question. It was a bit of a reverse culture shock because I came, like I said, from a a rather large city, um, and then to end up in Missouri, um, you know, very kind of. It it was a quieter town, um, you know, amazing people. So, but but almost a reverse culture shock because just there were not that many people there, Uh and it it, it was one of the most, um, I would say, uh, you know, life changing experiences for me because I got a chance to meet some in. Credible people, and I think it played a big role in me staying in the Midwest because there's something about the Midwestern culture, as you know, having played all over and, and kind of coming back and settling here, is that the, the the people here are absolutely amazing, and I think that that had a, had a huge impact on uh, me staying here and and kind of just shape my personality uh, to to kind of adapt that Midwestern uh, personality and that work ethic.
1: Yeah, sure. And then you, obviously, you were a student athlete in college. Where what did you go into studying right away? I mean, your dad was came from academia. Were you going down that engineering route, or?
0: That's right. So I had a, I had a, I had a choice of uh, doing computer science and computer science. So I chose <laughs> computer science, um, okay. and I ended up with a with a double major in, in marketing as well, which helped me throughout. Uh, so actually, looking back now, you know, in in my company, it's a huge intersection of technology and marketing. And I think both those majors uh, were a huge um, you know, influence in me you know, doing what I'm doing now. But, but at, the, at the core of it all, I think you'll relate to this, Nate. Um, it was that competitive competition. You know, there's something about competition. Once you get addicted to competition, you never want to get uh, rid of it. I, I, can, I can probably sit down and play a game of cards with you and compete with you. You know, so it's just anything. I could watch hen racing and compete on that. You know? So um, I think it was the competition that kind of drove the, the entrepreneurial spirit. And we are
1: talk a bit more about your tennis career. Uh, you mentioned that, you know, your goal was to be a professional tennis player. At what point in time did your professional aspiration for that uh, sort of diverge into being an entrepreneur and, and pursuing your you know, career in marketing and creating businesses? Where is there, you know, kind of a point in time when you said, you know what, tennis, tennis isn't going to be it? Or did the, the game decide that for you?
0: Um, I think it was that the game decided that for me. I think, uh, you know, like tennis, like golf, is a very individual sport and you really, you know, when, when guys get out of college, you know, and I was lucky enough to get a full ride to college and had a great experience. I had six guys on my teams that were from six different countries. Awesome. Uh, my roommate my roommate was from Egypt, and he was ranked five or 600 in the world when he came in as a freshman, and we had, you know, guys from Holland, from Australia, from Colombia, from the Philippines, so we had a really great fraternity um, of players and a lot of really great players. Our team was ranked um, i think uh, you or know, third my my junior year or my uh, sophomore year we had a really good good tennis team and 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 after you kind of get away from that uh, collegiate environment you're really kind of thrown to the sharks you're kind of on your own you've got to go out and get sponsorships and really slog in the mini tour events just like any professional golfer would yep. and and that that experience was really really hard and on top of that i had the whole immigration issue but i had to figure out what you know how to extend my visa and things were a lot easier back then than they are now. But it was just a confluence of, you know, um, what, you know, coming back from a tennis tournament at, at three o'clock in the morning and taking a calculus test at seven. You know, so being a student athlete was was hard um, and they had to do a lot of time management. So by the time we got through it, I think I was a little bit burnt out and, and trying to play in different tournaments and quickly realizing that this is a, a really, really difficult thing to do. And, and that's kind of when I think the game picked it for me.
1: Then you know you, you started Channel Fusion uh, in the year two thousand two and graduated. I'm assuming from college in the in the mid to late '90s. What was sort of your first professional? Uh, what was your first foray into the professional world outside of college?
0: Absolutely, and I think the, this kind of all blends in. So I think this was kind of a, almost a, a, a destiny destiny type of a situation for me. I believe in that. And 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 I when I graduated college, I ended up with uh, connecting with. Uh, the CEO of uh, an advertising agency. Um, I don't know if you remember back then, uh, Nate, there was a big agency here called CMF&Z. And I kind of joined that group with the CEO of the agency, Buzz Baker. He, great mentor, and he played football at Harvard in, in, uh, in the 60s, late 60s with Al Gore and Tommy Lee Jones as kind of that team. And he was a huge influence on me and kind of recruiting me into the organization. I had a great first boss in George Held, who I'm still very good friends with, become a father figure to me. And they kind of got me into the Cedar Rapids area, and I got into marketing and advertising, and really loved that. It was a great agency, and I had a, a blast, and I learned a lot over the next uh, from '94 to 2002. I, that those eight years were really formative for me in terms of learning uh, the, the ropes, if you will. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, in 2002, CMFNZ went under after 60 years. After 9/11, they lost a few clients. Um, it, it was a great agency. Very sad moment for the. for for the whole agency at that point. And so I had a choice, you know, do I kind of go into the corporate world or do I kind of venture out on my own? And at that point, I had made some connections and I I was very fortunate enough to connect with two great individuals, Frank Mayer and Jeremy Pagan, who Jeremy, a South African, who also had a big love for golf and tennis. And he was at at that point was a a rising star in the Omnicom world and Omnicom being a a large holding company out of Madison Avenue. And he kind of reached out to me and said hey let's start a joint venture together and uh, and and so we did and uh, you know we started in 2002 under the omnicom umbrella mm-hmm. and i learned a lot from, uh, from from that experience and getting to know some great executives and omnicom does, does a lot of advertising for 5,000 plus clients so the portfolio had you know steve jobs in it jack welch and a lot of great ceos that i had an opportunity to learn from and and in 2011 you know, I kind of decided that um, I felt like I needed to spread my wings alone, and I, I approached them and said, "Is this something you feel I can spin off on?" And they were very kind enough and said, "Yes, you know, go and do your entrepreneurial thing." So I bought bought the rest of it out, and you know, it's been 10 years, and we've tripled in size, and it's been a great great story so far.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Just to just to back up a little bit, I, you know, talk a lot about you know, obviously within business and small business, especially when everybody's touching different aspects of the business, you know, marketing is always one of those things that carries a different definition to different people. How, how do you define marketing? What, what is marketing in a, in a business sense?
0: I, I heard a great quote, uh, Nate, uh, one time that, I, that I've used in several classes and meetings. It's kind of funny, but somewhat true. It's somebody said, marketing is like kissing uh, Cindy Crawford in the dark. You know it? She knows it. Nobody else knows it, or is going to believe you. So let's <laughs> turn the lights off. <laughs> so I've always found that was um, that was a very interesting uh, quote. You know, but, but marketing is really about awareness. You know, and at the end of the day, uh, a lot of um, uh, companies, you know, think that you know sales obviously drives the engine, but it's the marketing that feeds in the brand. Uh, you know, it's marketing that allows Budweiser to have you know commercials with lizards and no really beer in there. Right. Right. And and you know what it is. So I think the the marketing is the kind of the foray into the step before, um, you know, uh, and if people know the brand, they trust the brand um, and it's in front and center all the time, then the the sale obviously becomes much easier. So I think marketing is a really important part of the whole sales and marketing process.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously Channel Fusion, you know, focusing on co-marketing, Do you want to talk a bit about that strategy and what and what exactly
0: uh, co-marketing is? Sure. So we are in a, in a very niche business, Nate. Um, the channel in the channel fusion, it stands for um, the channel of distribution. So our focus point, our sandbox is uh, dealers and distributors um, uh, for a particular brand. So the brand hires us. So for one of our largest clients and a great uh, American brand, John Deere, They have hired us over the last 20 years, we've been working with them. And they've hired us to work with all of their dealers across the US and and, and all of North America. America. And we just uh, uh, last year started in Australia and now working with their LATAM division as well. So so they hire us to work with their channel of distribution. In their case, that happens to be the dealer. And then what we do is we work specifically with the dealer. So ours is a more B2B, marketing initiatives. We help the dealers manage their co-op funds, their rebates, their local promotions. Yep. And all of this. All of these promotions are sanctioned by the brand. So uh, while the brand is working with a national agency to drive the brand nationally, let's say during March Madness, or all those fun Super Bowl commercials you see, ours is more at the local level. We take that national branding and help the dealers promote that same branding at the local level.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And that kind of dovetails with, I love your Core values that you guys talk about—it's listed on your website. But the first one is positively outrageous service. Talk talk a bit about you know that value and how it's helped to guide you guys during you know throughout Channel Fusion's uh, lifespan.
0: Absolutely. So positively outrageous service. I have to admit, I've I, we, we've plagiarized from a, a company that I've admired and I had a chance to spend some time. Knowing their initial leadership uh, was Southwest Airlines, and uh, one of the leaders I admired the most, Herb Kelleher, who's, um I felt a lot of what he was about is what I wanted to be, and and he had this notion of positively outrageous service, where um, you know they would go way above and beyond, and you know a, a lot of a lot of very good companies do <clears throat> things right, but I think the great ones do the right things, and he he I think kind of kind of really made the the difference between the two possible for me to learn and. And and so we've kind of, we've kind of used that and kind of gone above and beyond and and making sure that our clients uh, who have a choice to be with anybody, you know, make sure that we, we, we understand how humble we are, we are with having their business.
1: Is there an example or sort of a, you know, hallmark of channel fusion going above and beyond with positively outrageous service or a unique story of you guys really kind of rising above, you know, cut above the rest in terms of customer service?
0: Absolutely. Actually, there was one just recently. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago, so good timing. I think it was a, a Make-a-Wish Foundation where one of the uh, one of the with the kids uh, who lived in a in a small community, he always wished that he could have a golf cart that he could ride around, mm-hmm. and he had he had said that in an interview. And one of the our clients, uh, territory managers, uh, they they picked up on that. Um, and there, uh, one of the brands we work with is Dextron. And they have the easy go golf carts, and so we were able to work with them and to make sure that uh, we were able to not only get that golf cart for that dealer and co op that, and make sure they got reimbursed for that, but also to be able to get that through the system with Textron, and Textron was amazing in getting that child's wish come true. So, so I think it's just it's just not about saying okay, you know could we just get this thing done? It was it was the whole idea about making this changing this kid's life and and how we could impact that. I think was a was a good example of that
1: yeah that's awesome and you mentioned you know you sort of branching off from some of your other original founders or folks that you would partnered with around 2011 for channel fusion was there a moment in time there or a rough patch or adversity in those first few years where you were sort of second guessing that that choice or was it has it been sort of not necessarily smooth sailing but has there just been a, a nice trajectory you know, over the course of the last 10 years
0: so you know it's been a very interesting um, uh, interesting um, kind of journey there so in 2002 when we when we started the joint venture with omnicom um, you know it was there was always an understanding that uh, we were eventually going to spin off um, but omnicom at that point was in the process of kind of consolidating companies not spinning them off so we you know jeremy and i kind of talked about it in fact that you know at some point you know we'll we we'll need to think about this and, and in 2000 and five, I think it was when we, we decided, you know, maybe this is a good time before we get too big to spin off and, and everything was, we set up the LLC, everything was good. And then the CFO for Omnicom who was setting that up, uh, Jonathan, he left to become the CFO at Abercrombie and Fetch. So we kind of put the kibosh on that and, you know, and then started moving past into, you know, till the new CFO came through. And then 2008, uh, Denny, he came, became the new CFO. And and again, we, we drive the whole thing. And uh, you know, we were we were all set. We set the LLC up to kind of spin off, and then we were out to New York and uh, and 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 getting everything signed. And when we got to the uh, to to Madison Avenue, there was an ambulance waiting outside, and then he was on a he had just had a heart attack. Oh geez. So we had to back away from that again, and and kind of get had him get better. And then in 2010, we had started again um, that whole process. Of, of 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 you know splitting away from Omnicom and all the papers got signed and I uh, unfortunately went through a, a very difficult divorce at that point so we put the kibosh on that as well so it never felt like this was going to happen and then and we were literally sitting in in um, Veil in an Omnicom meeting Jeremy and I and he kind of told me he said you know you've got to get your head out of your butt and and, and <laughs> you know and, and still still keep that entrepreneurial drive alive and and i said well, you know i don't know i've gone through a lot here and maybe it's not meant to be and and he said you know what let's make the deal happen right now this is in october and he said uh, he put out a piece of paper and he said this is what the price i think we're going to we're going to need it was incredible numbers i couldn't have imagined that they would go that low he even took out his checkbook and said i'll i'll help you pay for it you know mm-hmm. and and th- there was a, 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 almost a game changing moment for me and then in the process you know i called some friends i had some really good friends in Pat Dignan and uh, Dave at Bankers Trust. And, and they said, you know, how much money is this? Don't worry. We'll, we'll get it wired on Monday. And just like that, what took seven years to get there was done in a month. And it's been, it's been just a great smooth sailing.
1: And then has there been a, a turning point, a big client that you signed or a, uh, you know, a big moment or an employee. If you look back over the, the last 10 years of, of channel fusion, you mentioned you've grown now to over 120 employees and, uh, an amazing trajectory, but as you look back, was there, you know, a big, a big win there that really put the wind in your sails and propelled you guys on?
0: I, so I think we've had a really steady growth, Nate. Over the last uh, almost twenty years, we've grown between ten and twenty percent every year, and so we've had. We started with John Deere and Keller Windows in, in two thousand two, two thousand three, and we're very fortunate to still work with those industry leading brands, and they've they've made us better. But really, there hasn't been any major client acquisition. Now, one thing we did do in 2013 was we opened up our office in India, which was uh, quite an experiment. And I think that has been one of the best decisions I've made because of the amount of talent that we've been able to tap into there. And it also opens up for uh, an opportunity in APAC and all the emerging markets that all of our industry-leading client brands are in right now. So I think it kind of uh, gave us a dual kind of advantage of not only tapping into some great technical talent, but also opening up that APAC market for us.
1: Yeah. Talk a bit more about opening the India office. I had it been personally rewarding for you. Um...
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of, it was an interesting story there as well. So we were really struggling with uh, garnering, um, uh, you know, talent here, technology talent here. And I've been working with the, the team at Kirkwood also, and we've taken in a lot of the interns and and, and got full got them full-time but technology is this is just I was not a technology hotbed I don't know Eric and so of the other guys are trying to really change that and it's come a long way but but back 10 years ago we were really struggling with talent so we we put out an ad in the paper and um, and we really got like a couple of guys and it was it was not and we were growing and we needed that technology so my dad suggested he said you know have you tried about just putting the same ad in 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 uh, in, India, in, in Chandigarh, where I grew up, and see if, you know, I'd heard a lot about how much technology was being developed there and, you know, Infosys and Wipro and IBM and a lot of companies that were really having a lot of success. So I said, okay, you know, what we'll do is I'll put this ad out there, and, and if, if if there is something that I like, then we'll consider it. Well, I told our HR guy uh, to put that ad overnight, and by the time we got in the office the next day morning, we had 325 residents. <laughs> wow. I passed them to our technology head leader, and and he said, he, he looked through them quickly and he said, you know what, Pankaj, I'd, hi- I'd hire 300 of them. And so the following week, Nate, we were on a plane and we got, uh, Jeff and I, we got on a plane. We kind of parked ourselves at a, um, a Starbucks <laughs> in, in uh, close to my house. And we interviewed <laughs> about 40 people in an eight hour period and drank a lot of coffee. Yeah. And the following weekend, we were, we were off and running with that office. And now we have roughly about 50 people there.
1: That's Awesome. That's great. What do you think, I mean, looking back on your professional career and, and obviously and personally as well, being an immigrant to the United States, what, what advantage has that given you in business?
0: I think that's a great question. I think the the, the biggest advantage I think uh, it has given me is the hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, my, my the, the, the one word that my father always teaches me, has always taught me and has a great influence on, on me is the word perspective. Yep. And he says that unless you have seen both sides, you only know one side of the story, sure. right? And I think we are so blessed in this country. We have so much excess. You know, I I heard a great quote the other day um, that I think it was one of our ex-presidents maybe, and I should know that, but he said that the greatness of a country can be marked by what happens when you open the door. Are people mm-hmm. running out or are they coming in? Yep. Right? And we have our doors closed and still people are coming in, right? So mm-hmm. we are truly blessed within a country that has given... Us so much, and you're a great proof of that, right? I mean, it's a uh, so so. I think when you have perspective and you see a lot of not haves um, that gives you a hunger um, to succeed. And and I think that was a perspective. I've, I've it's never really lost on me. And I always try to tell that to my son. I said, you've got to listen to the stories of the kids who had to cut a five iron off to make a wedge, and that's the hunger, yeah. you know, the true love of the game. You know, so you've got to have love of the game. If there, if you
1: were to, if there were an 18-year-old that was coming in to the United States from India today, what advice would you would you have for them?
0: I would say, you know, times have changed a lot, uh, a lot, and, and by that I mean, you know, back in back in 1990, um, I didn't have as much exposure. Um, kids nowadays are completely exposed. Um, if a kid is coming from India at 18, there's a very good chance that he or she has been to Europe or to U.S. before. So sure. they are very exposed and they know, and obviously with the internet and technology, you know, everybody's got exposure to everything. So I think th- the kids today have it much easier from an exposure standpoint in coming and adjusting. Yep. However, I think the distractions have tripled as well. You know, so I think Absolutely. keeping the focus, um, I think is, is what I would say is, you know, de- determine what you want and then go after it because there's no other country in the world that'll give you that opportunity.
1: Yeah, that's great. And you, you mentioned early on with your, Sports background, and I know your, your son is a, you know, a, a great uh, youth amateur golfer here in the Cedar Rapids area as well, kind of following in Zach Johnson's footsteps. He's only 13 and has had a lot of success, you know, playing a bunch of tournaments around the United States. You mentioned that kind of competitive fire. What does, you know, what does success look like for you, Ponkage? if you look 10 years down, down in, into the future? Is that channel fusion? Is that more things? What's on, what's kind of top of mind for you? What's that next challenge you're looking to tackle?
0: I think success, Nate, to me is is the intersection between um, professional and personal, you know, fulfillment. Um, I think uh, you thank you for mentioning my son. He's still got a long way to go. There are a lot of really young, great golfers in 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 Iowa that he's competing against, and um, I, I think I, I learn from him as much as he learns from me. Um, he has uh, truly. I think uh, it would be awesome for me on a personal level to see him grow uh, as a golfer and as a student athlete um, and hopefully be a contributing citizen, um, you know, whether it be sports or through some other means um, down the line. And for, from a professional standpoint, I think, you know, gro- growth is the sign of, is the only evidence of life, I believe. So um, I think seeing Channel Fusion continue to grow over the next five years, I think currently we are working on trying to do a 2X in the next five. So our team is working hard to. to to double our company. And and I think just continuing to grow and creating a positive impact in people's lives and also affecting our clients' outcomes is is really what what I would feel would be a really good professional success for us over the next five years.
1: we would like to finish up all these interviews with some just kind of quick rapid fire questions. Uh, If you look back on your successful career, how much of that would you contribute to luck versus hard work?
0: I would say a good combination of both Nate. Um, I think hard work is gate fee. Uh, I think you've got to have that. And I think luck is equally important as well. So I would say almost half and half. I think there are a lot of people who are smarter than me and could work harder than me. And I think that's where the luck element of it comes in.
1: That's great. Now you, you can't say tennis player or golf professional tennis player, professional golfer to this question, but if given the chance, uh, what profession other than your own, would you most like to attempt?
0: Oh, you killed me on that one because I, <laughs> I was going to say, you know, the senior tour, the senior tour is what I'm aiming yeah, for. That's, but, uh... a, that's
1: a pretty good <laughs> job right there. Sure.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would um, th- there's there's a lot of things that uh, are circ- always are circling on my mind. I would love to be helping, um, you know, with my background and knowledge. I would love to be like a diplomat, you know, helping mm-hmm. the United States, for example, with their relationship with India. And and the opportunities there, um, I would love if I could serve in the military. I would serve. You know, I feel like there are okay. some amazing people who are doing some amazing things. Um, uh, but but I I would say you know anything I could do to help um, you know build build relationships between between us and other countries um, would be would be a really fun job for me to do. Uh,
1: how about a, a business leader? Has there been someone? Um, you mentioned a, a couple local. Uh, folks that really took you under their wing and have been great mentors to you, but has there been uh, a business leader that you followed? You know, either someone nationally or someone that uh, listeners may may know that's been influential to you over over your career?
0: Absolutely, there've been many, many. I've followed many. I've 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 really taken the rule to to be a sponge and learn from as many people as I possibly could. Um, uh, like I mentioned, I think Herb Gallagher uh, was a huge huge influence to me uh, in just kind of learning about him and how he went about. Steve Jobs, most definitely, I think, was a, was one. The way he did certain things were very interesting. Um, and, and just kind of, you know, learning through uh, the, the Omnicom network. I think Frank Mayer, J- Jeremy Pagden, and then, you know, Craig Hotchkiss locally here, um, Bruce Lehman. There are a lot of really uh, local guys who've, who've, who've done a really good job in kind of taking me under their wing. But but Herb Kelleher has certainly had a huge impact on uh,
1: How about outside of uh, business? Is there a podcast or... TV show that you're, you've are
0: you been watching a lot lately or a favorite? I'm a sports junkie, Nate. Yes, so yeah. I watch sports. See, I could watch sports all day, every day. Um, <laughs> my son and I lately have, have been spending a lot of time watching the 30 for 30 films. Yeah, and those are great. Th- those are incredible. Some of them have been so incredible because it allows my son to know some of the, the, the fire Slammer jamma, you know, Coach mm-hmm. K, some of those great, uh, you know, stories. We just uh, saw one with Marcus Dupree the other day great learning lessons, so I, I think those those are the ones him and I can enjoy the most, and we spend time doing that.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, with a sports background, uh, this is always an, an easier one, I guess, but, you know, sports and business always have great motivational quotes. Um, do you have one that's been, been important to you through through your career?
0: Yes, uh, you know, I, I'm a big quote person as an athlete, and I also, you know, uh, talk a lot, of, a lot in leadership sessions, um, and I love, uh, lot of people have said a lot of great things, you know, I, I love you know, different areas. Uh, one of the leadership ones that I think it was Carl Whitaker who said, you know, the 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 best thing about being a leader is that it matters. But the hardest thing about being a leader is that it matters every day. You know, and I think um, that to me is a is a really important piece to constantly recognize that if you're leading people, then you've got to remember that it's not a it's not a you know eight to five job. It's something you have to do yeah. every day.
1: No, that's that's great insight. I think. The best leaders that I can remember, either sports or business, are just the consistency, right? Just the they're there, they, they show up when you need them, and just they're that constant kind of either pressure or sort of uh, safety valve, either way, right? Just that, Absolutely. that consistency for leaders. Great. That's a great quote.
0: Absolutely. And there's a one a one commercial I'd encourage everybody to listen to. It was one of my all-time favorite Apple commercials that was done by Lee Clow and the team with Steve Jobs. Um, and it talked about it starts with, here's to the crazy ones. And it kind of ends with, uh, you know, something like, um, you know, the, the, the people who think they are crazy enough to change the world are the ones who actually do. You know, so I think uh, I think there's something about that, that people should not give up on their dreams. And if you if you, if you don't dream, you can't you don't know what you, you can achieve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 30 extra minutes in a day. And I'm also going to take off golf and tennis for this one, too. So you gotta, <laughs> I, I'm going to stretch you a little bit. If you had 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it?
0: I would say I would, um, I, I would, I would probably like to read a little bit more. Yep. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on some great stuff that is just passing me by just because there's so much going on between my business and my son's um, golfing schedule. Um, so I would love to probably read a little bit more if I could find 30 extra minutes. Uh, how about you've got
1: the perfect foray to the next question. Is there a, a book? Like if you were to give a young entrepreneur, you know, you know, a book and say, hey, this is the one you have to read about business or creating a successful career in entrepreneurship. Is there a book you'd recommend?
0: There is one I really like. There's so many and so many great authors who have written great books. Um, there's one I, I like, again, going back to my Herb Kelleher reference, uh, Kevin and Jackie Freiburg wrote a book called Nuts, N U T S, and it kind of details the Southwest story and how they kind of build a company culture, wh- which to me is, is really important because, you know, one of the things that I heard the other day is, you know, if a, uh, a customer, customer will only like your company if your employees like it first, right? So you've got to build a culture that it has all the employees really engaged. Nuts. and N- UTS, N- U- correct.
1: That's awesome. Uh, and then finally, we wrap up with uh, just having you define success in, in one sentence. What, what is success?
0: Um, I think, like I said, I would I, in danger of repeating myself. I would say it to me. It's the intersection between personal and professional fulfillment, right? Uh, it cannot be just one thing or the other. Uh, you've got to feel that you are personally uh, the best that you can be, and professionally the best you can be. And for everybody, that's different. But if you feel you have been the best you can be, I feel that's success.
1: Well, this has been great, Pankaj, Thank you so much for uh for taking the time and uh look forward to, to catching up here soon uh, you and i are both on the you know help with the investment committee with uh isav and uh see you around and all. you know we'd love to play some golf with your with your son and you one of these days as well but thank you so much
0: for uh for joining us you got it nate thank you very much for having me this episode was produced by joe coffee of coffee grande studios Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.